Okay, everyone, this is episode 59 of Tumble Vision, Thursday, March 31st. Our special guest is Thomas Knoll, who's a community architect and Tumblr for Seismic and Zappos and lots of other great places. And today we're going to talk about what happened at Web 2.0 and where things are with the web right now. And Debs, what else? Talking about the uh, moment in time that we're at where people are trying to use technology over humans to solve problems. And uh, Kevin Witter, some of the maybe apps we're going to talk about. We're talking about color, we're talk- and we're talking about Paul Adams' um, ideas about social circles. And Thomas Knoll? Uh, mostly just ramble about love. <laughs> Loving customers. Love. And so it all comes down to love. Because that's, that's all you need. Yeah, it's all you need. Listen in. Join us. Welcome to Tumble Vision episode 59. Today is Thursday, March 31st, and we are all getting ready for April Fools. I'm sure that we will have lots to talk about next week regarding that. Uh, Tumble Vision is a weekly salon style podcast about how to connect and create a world that puts people at the center of business tech and culture. Each week, we explore various dimensions of tumbling with the smart folks creating this new world. And you may ask, what the heck is tumbling? Tumbling comes from the Yiddish word to tumble, which means to make noise. And tumblers were traditionally hired at weddings to get everyone to dance and at bungalow colonies to, a la Dirty Dancing, to hang out with the guests before they performed. So we believe in a world that is no longer command and control and is all about living in the networked age, that how do you figure out how to run life, business, culture in that kind of world? You tumble. You got to connect the dots. It's both a practice. It's about it's types of people and business, and it's where our human and tech selves connect. So this show is hosted by yours truly, Deb Schultz, and I am sitting uh, in sunny, very warm San Francisco today, where I actually feel that spring has finally sprung. And uh, with my other cohort, uh, Kevin Marks, where are you today? Hi there. I'm in Social Cast's lobby. Um, Social Cast is a startup that does activity streams for business, um, and they've very helpfully let me sit in their lobby and do the podcast today. And thankfully, it's a quiet one. And um, Heather Gold, our third host, is running a bit late up in Toronto, but she will join us shortly. And our guest this week is the lovely and talented Thomas Noel. Hey, Thomas. Hi. Where you be? Uh couple hundred yards off of the beach in uh, Manhattan Beach, watching the sunset. Nice. Very nice. I grew up not far from a Manhattan Beach. Actually, there was a Manhattan Beach in Brooklyn. Confusing though that sounds, there is. Um, And let's get started this week. What we usually do is sort of talk about what the heck's gone on in our world, uh, where tech and humans meet, or social software and web. And so we've got a couple of news events this week. Let's start off with the... uh, the big one, which actually launched last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it, right, Kevin? Which is the big funding of a new app, for want of a better term, called Color, right? Yes. Well, How Color's, do you describe I, Color? <laughs> um, somebody called it near-field social networking. Um, 
okay. The point, so having actually used it, used it in, in context, I now have a better sense of what it does. So what it does is you take photographs um, using it, um, and then it shares them with people it thinks are in the same place as you based on geolocation um, and other, a bunch of other cues they, they use, like wait, which mobile cell you're in and um, does the lighting look the same and, and, and stuff like that. So the point is you take a bunch of photographs of your friends in public and then it shows you not just your photographs, but their photographs as well without you having to actually exchange IDs or tell it who your friends are. It sort of naturally aggregates the people nearby. Which is, which is kind of interesting, but also slightly weird, because it, then it shows you the photographs your friends took later in the evening, or it shows you the photographs the other people in the bar at the same time as you took later in the evening. So it can get a bit odd um, as, you, as you browse around in it. And its user interface is very opaque. And one of the big problems is if you try and use it, test it, you know, you download this app, you test it, um, you normally do that at home, so you're sitting there going, there's nobody here, there's a picture of me, why am I sitting, what's this thing for, and it doesn't make any sense. Right. So one of the things that the three of us uh, tumblers here have talked about that, you know, a lot of uh, the tech world in Silicon Valley is sort of focused on how much funding that they got and that, excuse me, that, uh, you know, uh, color is the next thing, right? Near field social networking. But if you really think about it, um, it's really trying to use technology to mediate sort of the social norms of when you're near someone in a lot of ways. I mean, mediate might be a strong word, but I think that they, it's, it's a very interesting space, but if I'm hanging out in a bar or a cafe or a conference is a little bit better because you sort of have a trust network there, right? That you sort of know the people, but you know, I, I don't know if it's going to help me to connect or meet with others more than it is maybe sort of an aggregator of a moment in time. Like if they positioned it that way, that might be a little more interesting. But, you know, otherwise, I think it's a little weird. So I, I think technology, you, you need people to help you get introduced, et cetera, et cetera. Don't you think? Well, I, 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 Thomas, I think, jump in. I think, I, no, I'm going to jump in. No, um, you should. I... I think what is interesting about it, and as much as I've kind of like been beating my head up against the wall of like how this happens right now, and um, when is this all going to pop? Um, but I, I think what is interesting about it is where a lot of these things are more like I have to go collect these people and find them, and I need to make sure that, that they're on here. Um, and so, like, I'm recreating groups that I don't actually use. So right. there's like you know high school and Facebook, and like four of those people I'm still interacting with most like I don't actually need that group but I feel like I should make it because it's much more of a um uh, what's the like I'm, I'm making a list of of people whereas this like you know maybe I've been riding that bus with pretty much the same people every morning uh and but I I don't know who they are we never interacted but all of a sudden if some of this stuff starts just being captured just by, hey, these are people I'm with in the same place often enough um, that maybe it does get interesting and let me begin to discover those connections that already exist in in real life instead of online as a list. Yeah, no, I agree it has potential, but the argument is just that I worry that the, the way the tool looks now or that we – I have a concern that they are not going to understand that it is the humans who actually do this stuff and create features, tools, processes that enable you to sort of say hello to that person on the bus. Because I don't think just both of you posting a photo 
is enough of a social object to do that. So it remains to be seen, um, but it takes a very particular personality type, probably someone more extroverted like yourself, um, to, do, to just go over and say hello to someone they don't know. So it'll be interesting to see if the social aspect takes off, the connecting aspect. What do you think, Kev? Um, that, well, that's it. I mean, so Tony just said he seems to remember recently reading that the average digital photo is looked at less than one time. I think that's very true. I think um, one, of, one of the ironies of um, the Internet now is that, it's, that we're moving to an upload more than we download network where we send up huge high-res photographs and videos to the web and nobody ever looks at them. Um, right. Well, or the equivalent and, and, is everyone's talking and no one's listening. <laughs> you know. so, so I think the, you know, the point of this is to, is to help you go back and say, oh, what would, you know, the Facebook answer to this is everyone uploads their photographs to Facebook and then you tag your friends in them and then you, then you, then you know who the people are in the photograph. Um, so I've got, like, an example I'd, I'd like something like this was um, I recorded the, my, my son's um, percussion concert last week. Mm-hmm. Um, with my nice microphone that I normally use for this, um, I wanted to post the, the files for them to see, but I didn't know the names of the performers. So if there had been something like this there, it could have discovered the people in the room and given me that so I could say, oh, and here's the audio for it. Um, right, right. Because we, we're actually just all in the same room. But it right. does, you know, there's, there's a bunch of assumptions there. The assumption is you're all in the same room using your phones, running the same app, and then it will work. It's like there's a long chain of ifs there that, that don't quite map to reality. And, and, for, and, and the truth is, for me, like the aggregation part of it, which is what I was trying to get to, which is really what you're talking about, is sort of everyone having a shared experience that they all sort of temporarily post notes to without having to make a concrete list or tag, right, Thomas, like you were talking about, is really interesting, right? Um, and we do sort of all, we're all getting tired of managing lists and logging into 10 million different places. You know, I get that. The spontaneity and all of that is very interesting. Tagging the social word onto it is a little worrisome for me. It sort of relates to, and we're going to get into this in a few minutes, your definition of community versus crowd, right? So um, I think it could be really interesting. I mean, some of the uh, comments we're getting in the chat room right now is if color becomes a success, it, uh, Andrew Haslett, our producer, sort of says it'll probably be because the users come up with something interesting. And if they enable us yeah. to do that, that'll be great. You know, um, so uh, so we love that feature. And then, you know, Mars is saying colors should make photo stitch go wild. And I agree. The one the, the, what I worry about is that there, there are bun- that there that it'll be built by a bunch of technologists who are looking at technology as a solution to stuff without having the social scientists involved the same way we tease Google. So, you know, I'm just it's just a yellow warning sign. And I and I hope they they. They build a really cool thing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, plus one doesn't have social written in it yet. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. Um, so it's all very interesting. I think our, our um, Heather will be joining us in a second. So I think. Right here. Great. We Yay. were just sort of talking. Welcome, Heather. Hi, guys. Sorry to be late. It's uh, That's okay. We were kind of late, too, so don't worry about it. It's our giant floating head. Yay. Hi. Our giant floating head. Hey, right, Thomas. So- Welcome to Tamil Vision. Did we lose him? <laughs> Thank you so much. No, I, I muted myself. Don't mute yourself. That's, pain- <laughs> That's painful. I was, I was being noisy. <laughs> oh, you were chewing, weren't you? Were you clearing I your wish. throat? 
<laughs> you're getting hungry. You're getting hungry. So we were just going over sort of our beginning notes. We started a bit late, Heather, so you're really not that late. And we were talking a little bit about some of our concerns regarding color. Nothing about funding, but more about, you know, can technology sort of help mediate some of these social things? Um, I, why do you think it had 41 million bucks? I think that's crazy. It is crazy, but so many other people have talked about that. No one's going to talk about the social aspect, so I thought we would talk about the social aspect of it or well, lack there. I think, don't you think it's funded that way because they see it as a social thing and they see it as magical social things? Yes, that's part of it, and I think it's just because it's it's the founders have been successful in the past, and the valley is just ripe for something that's going to be the next thing after Facebook or whatever. So they, they think it's the next layer of social, and, and how is it different than the kind of social layer we have now? It's more getting mobile? It's more, te- I'm going to use the word temporal and less discreet. How's that? Um, I actually think the user experience sucked, for you, just so you know. So, Kevin, you very graciously demogra- you know, you know, said that when you got online, you know, most people join an app or a service from home the first time. And I jumped on at home at, like, midnight, and the first thing they asked me to do, and I have no choice in the matter, is to take a photo of myself. Well, you know, I didn't want to take a <laughs> exactly. photo of myself at 1 in the morning, you know, when I was lying in bed feeling icky. And they don't give me an opportunity to upload an avatar. And, and then once I did take a photo of my bedspread and put that up there, I was stuck with that for a while. So my fear regarding them is I have no problem if they're trying to do the next social thing, whatever that might be. I, I, I have yet to see that they kind of grok what's needed in the next social thing and but, understand but I, maybe. But I also think that to limit path or color to a photo thing, I think really limits the vision that both of those things are probably going after, which goes beyond just to take a photo. That just gets a lot of early user adoption because people like looking at themselves sure. and they will take photos. Um, but there's so many opportunities just within, um, like the phones know whether they're near each other, whether you take photos or not. Right. Um, and so there's all this like ambient discovery that could be happening, you know, even without you, so creating you, any media around it. Like, I think Thomas, it's going to be a lot more social than media. You think it's just yes. the first launch of something that's trying to do ambient sociality? That's what they're oh, trying absolutely. to do. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. Big thing is, is how smart are they about so sociality that's... in general? I mean, that's the thing, Thomas, is this yet another coder or, or even worse business person started company with no one focused on social experience? That's, that's so I have no idea. Right. That's just our idea. Yeah, and, and our job is to, as, in, on Tumble Vision is sort of just to highlight sort of the fact that we really, really hope that they get sort of deep understanding of what sociality really is and that it's not binary and that it changes. It could be really fascinating. But um, so far, you know, they're going to have to live up to a lot of hype. But you know, they've and got obviously they have a little bit of runway to to get there. Just, just a little, just a little, <laughs> a year or two at least. Yeah, I, I did a whole long rant about them the other day, and I, and I then turned to Kevin and said, "Watch, I'll go work there." <laughs> I can, I can, no, I mean, they could be. I mean, obviously, we'd like to see these things happen and and, and succeed well. Yeah, I mean, so we'd like to see more of them. And and the first thing to free us from Facebook, will will get a cookie for me for sure. Oh, well, you know what? 41 million bucks plus a cookie from Heather. What more could you want? 
Yeah, you know, a million. The cookie is the pretty cookie nice. is the thing. I know, totally. So you know, color's good. I'm going to try to keep us on schedule since we started late. The other thing we were going to talk about this week was some of the themes that Kevin and I saw at Web Two Expo. Um, you know, it was it was interesting to be you know full disclosure. I'm on the advisory board there, um, and have been for a number of years. It's just interesting to see the industry sort of, I guess, all grown up. Um, <laughs> it's it's weird for me because I think I, I'm not a big fan or never have been of the big expos to begin with. I like single track conferences, as we, you know. And it was very, um, there were some interesting talks, I will say, don't you think, Kevin? But I think yes. it was, um, I, I found that it was very split between either really businessy how to, how do I measure ROI, numbers, all of that, and some really kind of interesting under the radar stuff, and that it was a big gap in between the two. And so uh, Kevin and, and and Heather and I did a talk that was sort of put together last minute about tumbling, and what was interesting for us was that probably the way that we wrote up the talk, and because of the attendees and how everyone's focused on community and measuring it and managing it these days, the room was really filled with a lot of business people. And we were trying to push the envelope a little. I think there was a disconnect there. What do you think, Kev? Yes, I think we, we, um, we were told, don't use tumbling the title, no will understand it. And so we used the title, should you hire a, a, a chief conversation officer? Um, and therefore got lots of um, sidetracking into talking about org charts and um, chief conversation officers, which yeah. was – the chief conversation officer was a, was a thing that I, I put in my original post about tumblers to make the point that somebody at the executive suite should be thinking about this stuff. Right. Um, and afterwards, Tantec made, made a very good point and said, you know, it should be the CEO that's thinking about that. Their job is very much to connect the different parts of the organization. That's what I was saying. It's about yeah, that's what I've said. Yeah, yep, we've all yeah. agreed. The thing yeah. is, I think, Kevin, you know, I know we, the three of us, have talked tumbling a long time. But honestly, no, a lot of other people haven't. And once right. this yeah. starts trying to get into the business world, it's going to have to go through that style of conversation because that's the entry point that's available to you. I mean, I, I mean, the tumbling way to talk to people in that style of business is to put it in that language. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk in their language for sure. I think that the, the, um, the, the challenge right now is we're at a unique moment in time is that, you know, the, you know, the small communities of people who've sort of built online community and sort of have a deep sort of practice knowledge of it, whether it's some of our former guests like Teresa Nielsen Hayden or others or Thomas, well, who's our guest tonight. Thomas, cause he's here. Yeah. We talked about Zappos Thomas in the session because it's mm-hmm. like the first step for most people in the business world to get right. some clue that it's possible to run a business the way, frankly, people in 1953 tried to run them when they worked well, which yeah. is an ironic thing, which is how do you focus on the, the customer, you know? Well, and, and the thing that, that was most fun for me to work on while I was there is, you know, because Zappos has always been really good at that customer experience. Um, and so what was fun to really work on were ways to – kind of enable and encourage customers to interact with each other, um, which is a totally different thing from interacting. I'm sorry? That's exactly what tumbling is. Right. Right. Yeah. And what made you decide that you needed to do that? Sorry, Deb. Sorry. No, go for it. 
<laughs> no, I mean that. I mean, that's that's all I've done for most of my working life. Is what is it that helps people connect with each other, and how can you know organizations or businesses um, participate, encourage, incent, you know, and, and be involved in that process um, rather than trying to own or manage or uh, control or I don't know other words that I don't like. And is this something Zappos was already built to do, or you feel like it's something you brought to that to the company? I mean, it, it was something that I was a hundred percent focused on, um, and uh, lots of people are working on and care about. Um, and so, I just had the opportunity to really focus on that and not have to also think about any of the other aspects of it. So, working with brand marketing, you know, they're doing all the great things they're doing, and I just focused on like, so what are the ways you know to get. The, the customers involved in, in some of those stories and to bring their stories and kind of amplify them back out. And with customer service, I'd, you know, just focus just on what are the ways to enable more of a conversation and, and, you know, going beyond one-on-one amazing support and amazing experience. So what were some of those ways? Um, oh man, I don't even know. Um, so, because uh, some of the stuff is still kind of, kind of in the works. Um, uh, I mean, so like one of my one of the, my favorite things. It's just such a little thing, but I think it's just indicative of the whole attitude. Um, was uh, you know for so for a while there, like the Facebook page had you know f- so for the Zappos image that shows up on the wall when you post questions and answer people and all that stuff um, was like the, like very well on brand image of the mm-hmm. Zappos Zappets um, that were, you know, used in both, you know, TV and print um, and on the web. Um, and so like, that was like good on brand stuff. Um, but then um, switched, switched over to this kind of contest of the customer of the week where, you know, all these customers are uploading their own pictures of themselves with the Zappos box or like with their cat in a Zappos box or their baby in a Zappos box or holding a Zappos box on a motorcycle or, you know, whatever. Um, and so they're like adding kind of themselves and, and inviting people to come vote for theirs and everything. And so the customer of the week becomes the image. And then, so now like every time Zappos is doing something on Facebook, it's one of the customers who, you know, is showing up and kind of representing the brand, which just reflects, you know, the attitude that, that already exists there anyway. Um, but, you know, so it's just like a, a little shift that I think has subtle and lasting impacts. Totally. I mean, you know, as someone who, who it, what was what was interesting for me from our Web 2 session is I do do a lot of speaking to businesses. And I think we're at a very unique moment in time. Zappos is sort of ahead of the curve and always has been around this stuff because they get holistically that, you know, in this age where especially with what Zappos literally sells, it's a, you know, commoditized products, right? And margins are what they are, right? So understanding that you have to make it about service and then you take it a level further and you have to make it literally, I mean, not just pay lip service to the fact that it's about your customers and really sort of giving that over. And they're the first sort of big company to do that. I mean, Dogster, we've had Ted Reingold on the show, has done that since the get-go. Who's and, also and obsessed with ambient sociality, by the way. Almost a, right, who's obsessed <laughs> with ambient sociality. And, you know, all of us who are tired of managing lists, which is what Thomas was saying before you jumped on, Heather, are all tired, uh, well, 
want good ambient sociality, um, but it has to be combined with deep social knowledge. So to me, what, what, uh, you know, what I saw, what I see sadly happen and I get passionate and frustrated and Kevin had to deal with my, that after our session is that unfortunately many people are currently at this point in time stuck in the measuring community, which really mean, you know, community being the new word for our customers. So it's still a one to many. You know what? Did you, you see, know? did you see Jonah Peretti's talk at W? Uh, so I, I just read about Jonah's talk. Did you right. see it, Joe, Thomas? I didn't know. So my, my takeaway from, from guy who created BuzzFeed and, right. and Huffington Post, and he's been around the web a long time, and he's very savvy. He's worked a lot with advertisers, and he mm-hmm. basically tried to, like, figure out how to be the guru, as they would say in business talk, of, so, of uh, virality. Like, here's why right. do stuff, and here's how they respond. Here's how you can get what he's calling participatory. And what it was, this, it was a very sort of scientifically smart analysis of understanding that people were emotionally reacting to stuff. So how do you just get them a lot of opportunity to right. really react? And what I found really kind of disturbing about this is um, on the one hand, it shows at least the savviness to know this is an emotional thing. Yeah, but they're manipulating it. They're not. But it's sort of still can staying consistent with the old version of business that's about manipulation and addiction. Exactly. It, Very as, well said. As any kind of pharmacy that says it's a health healthcare, but essentially is selling you cigarettes and and booze and and all marketing metaphors are exactly. war metaphors, right? Often. So, so right. businesses that are push marketing are often addiction based businesses, which is we're going to end obsolescence. You need something else. You're not good enough. Um, you need this thing to be happy. And that's the emotional vibe pushing every business decision. And sometimes even when people t- talk to me very quickly about scaling concerns about a business, like I remember talking to the guy who's a product manager of Google, um, some element of Google Maps. I think the places in Google Maps. And I started explaining tumbling and he went to the scaling thing immediately. And I said, Right. You're really afraid. And if you're that afraid, then what that says to me is I need to make enough out of this thing. And you're worried about making enough before you even have a thing that's working for somebody. I was like, did blogging scale? You guys bought blogger. It did. Right. But the thing that made blogging scale was not technology, inherently just technology. It was bloggers. It was that more people did it. Right? Well, yeah. And, and that more people connected to each other. You know, one talk and one guy who we're going to get on our show who does a great job you know i used to think i was a good translator uh, on some of this stuff but without but i'm not enough of a numbers driven person which is what your traditional marketers want you know sometimes the the person who lives something is the worst person to teach it because you you have trouble unpacking it so like you know thomas you probably know this like if you're a great community manager and you know that if you just keep doing this stuff it's going to work you know it's sometimes very hard to say you know our 30 day plan is and our 60 day plan is but, so but I, kevin I can, and i yeah let, let, let's hear from thomas yeah I, I, I think there's a way to, I mean, even do some of that same stuff, but just shift the attitude towards it that makes a major impact. And so the thing that I started just like writing on a whiteboard every time I could and not erasing it and like making someone else erase it um, was that uh, social metrics Mm. are outward measurements of internal emotions. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is optimize towards increasing the emotion, mm-hmm. not increasing the metrics. 
So beautifully stated. Yes. So, so there's ways to like strive to like, you know, trick people or convince people or whatever that they need to do things that drive up these numbers of things that we're measuring. And like things are going to have to get measured. They're always going to get measured. And I've, yes. I've given up ever trying to like, you know, say like, oh, we just don't need to measure it. No, but you do um, need to measure it. But you, what you oh, measure absolutely. is the issue. What well, you measure. Yeah, right? But even then, like, but even then, like, that's fine. Just, what just, we measure is fine. But when we're trying to work on it. That we're not trying to drive up the measurements. We're actually trying to drive up the experience. So, like, if someone's going to like something, like, what are we doing and what kind of, you know, a story or engagement or, or happiness are we providing to people that makes them, like, like something? Like, Get feel to this, like they like right. something. Get to the actual motivation of why these people like you, not just and what and, and what I heard a lot of in a few of the talks that I went to that relate to this at Web Two Expo were a lot of people just asking for, tell me how to make the numbers bigger, tell me how to make the numbers bigger, which is you know, but, so so but, but, but they don't believe their own subjective experience, so they don't believe other people's subjective experience. Right. They want something proven, what they call proven. You would think proven would be fucking how many dollars you made in your business. You would think that would be a supposed metric business people would listen to. (laughs) It's sort of insane to me, like at the end of the day, that they want to put that one aside and talk about 50 other numbers. Well, I'll tell you why, Heather, because in a world that's just that where businesses are siloed and get really big, each department has to prove how they're excuse me, how their numbers lead to the bottom line. So yes, if I own a mom and pop store, I can see the connection right away, right? Because there's five of us who run the store and the guy comes in and sells you stuff and and he tells you that he told a friend. And so it's very well connected and it's holistic. The reason that businesses, the the C-suite does only care about those bottom line numbers, but each department and each group has to sort of justify what they're doing by their own metrics and numbers. And that's how we get these complex stuff. What what I just wanted to add into the conversation was Paula Day's talk, right, Kevin? Yes. So yeah. Paula Day, who was at Google and is now at Facebook, because is Paday. Paul Adams. Paul Adams. Paul Adams. I always say Day because his Twitter handle. Paul is Adams Pad- is, is Paday, like Paddy, because he's Irish. I know. I know. So um, Paul, <laughs> it's, I always, I always screw up his last name because that our Twitter handle. Anyway, we'll put it up on on Tumble Vision. But he's he created a really great. Um, slide share a long time ago. And, and what I love about, you know, Tom, it's folks like you who can make that transition. And Paul, who does a great job, is he can talk to the folks who want the numbers and prove to them, because he's got the data sets now that he's at Facebook, and say to them, you really don't care about having 10,000 followers. The way information really travels is with 200 people. And so he, his talk was a great talk because it was both very concrete wasn't as emotionally driven probably as we'd like, but he got to the behavior and why people do what they do. And then it's not about this mass media way of looking at social networking. Uh, Kevin, you could probably add in a lot since you were tweeting the whole time and I was sort of just listening. <laughs> I should go back and fish out my tweets. Yeah, I think, well, exactly. Um, I think what, what Paul did, you know, Paul did very well was, ex- was express, um, the web as a, as a network of, of people in the same way as the talk we, 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 we raved about the last time we did this, this yes. slide deck. Um, but very much focusing on the, the interaction between people being the way that, th- that, that things move about um, and that we rely on information from, from people we already know far more than we rely on it from supposed influencers um, in, in public. And also, um, oh he's, 
yeah. he said um, that exactly. um, although we divide these things into strong ties and weak ties and, and so on, actually each of our relationships with everyone else is, is individual and unique and is held, you know, and is held in our own understanding. And whatever we're building digitally for this is, is only ever an imperfect model. Um, just we want to make sure that that is transparent for people so that they can um, apply their own um, worldview onto it. I think that that was um, something I, I, that I came back for me very strongly from, from his talk. God, you guys, I just want to share right now, I'm looking at this tweet from these comics. Jen Kirkman is a great comic. He used to be writing on Chelsea lately and TV's Andy Daly. And he just wrote, we're plotting our takeover of the internet. Stay tuned. And I just want to say to them, the notion that you could take over the internet is so insane. That Don't you think they're like, joking? Oh, no, I don't think they're joking. <laughs> I think, and, and, and if you look at his at Andy Daly's Twitter description, okay, I just want to, a lot of what I took away from South By, and I, I would like to talk about this with Thomas, actually, from, from performers and media people, and I see a lot of people trying to do this on in social media, and I see a lot of business people trying to act like the celebrity culture. Okay, mm-hmm. here's, for example, the Twitter bio of Andy Daly. I'm an actor and comedian. If you buy my album, Nine Sweaters, then we'll both have gotten something tangible out of this Twitter experiment. Okay, that by itself can tell you everything about it does. industrial business era. First of all, it's I'm an actor and a comedian, supposedly an artist, supposedly someone who knows nothing but how to increase what you said, Thomas, how much we have a feeling about a character, a moment. Supposedly, that's what you tra- what you do. Yeah, what does he say? If you have a transaction with me, right? Then we'll make this in quotes experiment, this internety thing, Twitter, useful to both of us because we'll have a transaction. You'll buy a thing from me, and like, look, I'm not saying we won't all have transactions. I don't want people to buy my comedy either. But the fact that you're leading with that, it, to me, that's equivalent of I come into your house and you said, "Will you rub my back?" I mean. Oh, my, my metaphor is you come into my house and start, I invite you to a dinner party and you start selling Tupperware. <laughs> That's a better one, much better. So, so Thomas, I find it odd that, like, you're someone from, supposedly, you know, you've worked with this hot business of the moment, mm-hmm. Zappos, although you have this spiritual background, which I love. Um, yet, yet you, I mean, it's so odd to me that I would end up, Potentially, it's something with, I don't know Andy Daly, that's a comic, I don't know, but saying to comics, oh yeah, listen to this business person who can tell you how to be so transactional about your performing. How does it come to this? And why is it that that you and, say, Zappos, specifically because it's a company so many um, other metric-oriented companies seem to be willing to look at and acknowledge as something that they can hear, Yes. It's the voice that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Was that is that post what you've been able to do? Why are you able to do it? Why does it make sense? What would you say to the celebrity-driven people of the world? You know, whether it's a Calacanis or a Gary Vee treating business like celebrity, or it's somebody from the entertainment business trying to come into the web world and trying to treat it that way, or people building web apps and thinking they're going to build them for future celebrity. What would you say yeah. to these people? Like, why are they listening to you and not an artist? I, not that you're not an artist, but I, it's an interesting turn of events. Um, uh, well, you know, speaking of art, and I'll find the link for it, but uh, Steve, Steve, Blank today, Steve Blank today wrote a post about um, entrepreneur as it's actually an artist, um, an artist field. Yeah. So 
kind of interesting. Um, I, I liked that. I was like, sweet. I am an artist. Um, but I mean, I, I, I think, think it's an artist. You just haven't called yourself such, or have you called yourself? <laughs> well, architect. I, I do prefer to call myself a community architect, and I and I suppose uh-huh. architect is kind of an artist uh, artist field. But um, I mean, the, the to me, what's really at the core of this is um, life. Oh wow! Okay, let me start there. Life, you see, goes like this. Now, uh, all we have are relationships. Amen, brother. That that's that's like it, like, and that's all. That's all we get to go through this life with, and and commerce really is a a relationship. Um, and you know, so many things have been commoditized over and over and over again. Um, and and honestly, I believe that now we are, uh, you know, we've gotten to the phase where customer service is a commodity. Um, and so even that is not going to be enough to. Um, to just get people based on this transactional thing. Because even customer service, um, the way most companies are approaching it is a transactional relationship. And so it's this, you know, I'm going to provide, you know, this thing for you so that, so that I win, you know, this transaction or cause you to come back for another one. Um, however, what, where it's, this is where it starts to get weird and it's not just based on pricing and it's not just based on, you know, a brand experience, but so why customer service is now at the edge of what is hard to be commoditized is because what's behind that is a, a personal story and a memorable experience. And what we thrive on are our own stories and what we trust more than anything is our own experience. And so when we, you know, so if we are going to do something that at its core is a transactional thing, what keeps it healthy and alive and thriving is whenever we create these personal stories um, that are memorable and easy to retell to other people. You know, I mean, and that's one of the fun things about Zappos is like there's literally 600 emails a day that are not just like, Hey, you guys are great. Thanks for the free shipping. Um, right. it's, it's whole stories about how, well, so we're going to go down here for this holiday because my, uh, you know, cousin is in the hospital, you know, there, so couldn't travel up for the holiday. So we all went there and now we didn't know how we we're going to get our, um, you know, the, our gifts shipped there, you know, because we couldn't carry them on the plane because now the planes are charging us, you know, $25 per bag for that. So then we couldn't take them there, but you know, we wanted to have this meeting meaningful thing. And so, you know, then we, you know, called up Zappos and, you know, it was the 20, you know, first, and we thought there was no way they'd get there in time for Christmas. Um, but I couldn't believe that Susan, this person I talked to on the phone yesterday, she was so helpful and asked me how my cousin was doing and then said, you know, like, no, we're going to get these there tomorrow and, and everything's going to be fine. And, and, and like, and there's like five, 600 of those every day. And like, those are like real stories that not only are they telling us, um, but they're willing and excited to tell, others. So it's their personal story. And then that feeling of that experience is something that regardless of price, regardless of, you know, brand, regardless of even the customer service experience, now that like that one has already been had, that like physiologically changes your brain in, you know, your relationship to this, this, this thing, which in this case goes even beyond like a brand or this like kind of amorphous idea, but instead like I have that association with a particular person. 
And so that's why, you know, I just truly believe that all of these relationships are, you know, so worthwhile. And yes, it does scale because when you make those personal relationships, now that person is making those relationships as well. So now everyone who has participated in this, you know, this, I don't even know what to call it. Like relationship is, I'm getting tired of hearing it. sounds tried already, right? Yeah, already it does. You know, but like, so now they're passing it on. And so it scales even better than it ever could when you're trying to own every single transaction instead of like delivering happiness, creating this feeling and stories that spread far beyond what you could ever manufacture yourself. It, yeah, it, I just want to say I that I want to take that chunk of recording of what you just said, Thomas, by itself. I don't know if we can do that, Andrew, and have it like a required listening moment on the top page <laughs> of our site. Because I think it's a lot of deep stuff you went into, and it's so critical to understanding this whole shift, yet it is going to scare the crap out of people because they're going to feel like, but I can't just have relationships because why? I got to make a living. How well, am I going to eat? Well, the thing that happens, which listening to that, Thomas, is, is what I take away is this sort of, it's like the devil's in the details. So if I wanted to be that, that left brain business person or whatever brain, left brain business metrics person, it'd be like, okay, how do I make that viral? And how do I, how do I have our customers create stories? And I, I think what's interesting and in what we're going through in this moment in time, which, you know, Heather and we all talk about here is that the truth and the core and the emotional piece, which is the piece you can't measure. And it's that piece that if you lose track of that as your objective, that's when you go down into that, let's make it viral and let's make it numbers. Uh, And that's the ephemeral thing that's emotionally driven that people forget. And that's when you get people coming up to a mic, since we were talking about Web2 over at a conference, is like, so what are the tricks and tools? And to me, when people start asking that stuff... What they want is the shortcut to it. You know, how do I make this happen fast? What they're saying is how not really grow as a person. Right. Without the, right. Exactly. I mean, how do I, how do, it's the shortcut. How do I make it happen quickly? And how do I make it simple? Because emotions are complicated. And, you know, and, but, but in my experience, people don't actually want a shortcut and they don't want to avoid um, hard work in a relationship. Um, in my experience, most of them just haven't been told like that it's okay. Like, you know, not like they need permission from anyone, but like they almost need permission to go, to go, to go do that. And like, it is okay to like, you know, do the, do the hard work. And the funny thing is like, most of it's not even actually hard work. It's actually even easier work. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. It's just that they, it's just that they've been told, they've been, but they've been you told know, not to. They've, they've been, been explicitly given a script and said, follow this script. Do this. And right. You're not directing outside this box. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead. That, that was, you know, that was the, the, the sort of the, the commodification of, of, of customer service has been to write scripts um, that, that anyone can read and the people are interchangeable and therefore they cannot have a conversation with the customer unless they're following the script. Um, and it's only if you go through three escalations can you find someone who can actually um, talk to you about it. And this is, you know, this is the sort of the, 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 exactly the stuff you're talking about, Thomas, it's something we talked about in our session of, um, uh, John Hagel's thing of the exception cases are the important cases. And that's the ones that humans should be handling. If it's an ordinary case, the machine can do it. Mm. 
That's an interesting point. Yeah. Well, Heather, you, you, you talked about that this week. You tweeted out once, and I thought it was great. You know, when we talk about algorithms and measurement at numbers, oh, the, yeah, the that, good yeah. point is, the good point is, like, and this is where we get lost, is the beauty of today is let the algorithms and the numbers free you up to do the real emotional connected. I think that, I think that, that, that is, if you wanted to look at, uh, I don't know, Thomas as a spiritual lesson of what the web is. Like, I think part of the gift, and I have a piece about uh, flow, you can find it in Subvert. You might be on heathergold.com by now. Uh, they're for Encyclopedia Britannica. Like, when you're overwhelmed with too many people, and too much scheduling, you just default to not organizing. That's what happened for me at South by, or you can. It can force you into flow. It forced me into accepting flow. I think having so many algorithms and everything being pushed this way will force us into the stuff that only humans can do. That we can only because the other stuff will be done for you. And as a business, there'll be no way to innovate there. Everyone else will have database-driven companies, for example. Like it's not going to be. Uh, a distinguisher that your company has a database because that's going to be pretty easy for everyone to have. And I just, I just, I see that increasing. And I would think that that's part of why there's such focus on Zappos now um, is because it's focusing on the thing machines don't do because it's going to be so easy to copy the machine stuff. I mean, does that make sense to you, Thomas? I, I mean, especially as we look at like even the, you know, Right now, there's all this focus on, you know, lean startups and how easy it is to, right. you know, get a business created, you know, and, and exactly. any, any, anyone can do it and they can all go up. And that, and that's very true. And I guess, you know, two things there's one is um, one that's OK, um, because in some of the like most sustainable and I'm unqualified to speak on this, but my perception, some of the most sustainable markets that have ever existed are these bazaars where there's like 20 people selling the exact same thing side by side, but you build a relationship mm. with one of them and always come back. So A, there's room for that many businesses doing all exactly the same thing and bothering to build a relationship with their customers. Um, and then also like things that aren't bothering to do that are going to fall away. Like they're going to disappear because, you know, we're by all of, you know, so I guess this is where the Groupon question comes in of like, you know, is uh-huh. that helpful to a business? Um, you know, is because like, you know, when we build a relationship based on, uh, you know, a diminishing price or, or a coupon or, um, you know, just trying to, you know, win out when we're, when we're hurting our own business to grab a larger handful of the business that's around, eventually you're even going to put yourself out of business. Sure. So it's more valuable to like actually be a sustainable business that can last, but just focus on building those relationships. Yeah. And it would be nice. And that's why I love that, that, that tweak on it that both of you took from different aspects is instead of using the technology the way it was sort of in the 20th century to dehumanize us, let the technology do what the technology does best mm-hmm. to free us up to do the stuff that we can do best. And sadly, we often end up doing this, this binary thing. And now the technology can do everything. It, if, if people would just look at it enabling us to differentiate ourselves, right? You know what I'm saying? So like Groupon, it's almost like Groupon, I, I don't know enough about their business, but you brought up Groupon. It's almost like they stopped, right? You know what I'm saying? So, so it'll be great for them, right? Um, you know, all the businesses are like, I'm going to grab more, I'm going to grab more, I'm going to grab more. And they sort of like, that's the end point. 
use Groupon as a way to free you up to do more deeper stuff in other parts of your business. But I don't think people do that. I think they just sort of glom on to the, the shorter process. Yeah. Um, uh, Andrew Hyde, a friend of mine, is thinking a lot of, about this with um, cl- uh, Clover. And I'm not yes. going to say too much because I'm not sure how much he's um, kind of talking about it yet. But one one comment he made was, you know, so like you have the dollar hamburger. Um, but if it costs the world $3, like, you, you know, like, so water costs and transportation and like all this stuff. Like maybe they can, maybe they can take on some of that cost. But if it costs the world three dollars to give us a one dollar hamburger, like we're actually, um, you know, putting ourselves. Well, like I need to say, like, hey, yes. the world is putting itself into debt. But <laughs> well, we can't can't say it enough. You know. <laughs> We can't remind ourselves about it enough. Yeah, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew's a natural-born tumbler as well. It would be fun to get him to come on when he's ready to talk about his new thing, whatever that might be. But, I, I mean, you know, like to Heather, to your point, it's like uh, the people who sort of get the way to work in the network, right, or are of the web, right, not on the web, sort of get that, that what most people are focused on today at this given point in time is, is, the, is, is right. It's a step in time. And that's sort of what I took away from like the web to expo and where it's gone now. And I'm not picking on the conference. I'm picking on the industry. Thomas, how does somebody who is on the web become of the web? How have you seen that happen for people? Wow. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't even know what that means. Well, what we mean is forget the web itself. When somebody says, Oh my God, look at all this connected stuff and you can talk to all these people and I can have virality marketing. How does someone who goes, I'm going to use Twitter and the, like the guy who, the comic who's saying, if you buy my book, we'll both have gotten something out of Twitter. How does someone like that become someone who like you is saying, wow, all there really is to it is relationships and I can build those. And the fact that I have this number of people following me on Twitter isn't as meaningful even to the sales of my book as is this kind of relational experience. How does somebody have that shift occur because I feel like that's the difference I see in the people who at least make the stuff that I find impacts me. And usually the people who make the stuff that impacts the web the most. From what yeah. 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I think, uh, I, I think the only way it happens is one really good story, you know? So like something just accidentally happens to them that is so hyper personal, um, that, you know, Mm -hmm. leaves that lasting impact that it becomes, you know, I mean, we actually are, I mean, it's a, it's a chemical reaction in the brain. Um, you know, like when you hear your own name and there's like, you know, when, when you see someone smile, like it makes this weird thing happen, like physically inside your body. And so it becomes addicting to like, feel happy. Um, and so, so I think when that happens, um, then it becomes addicting and I think it's it's addicting to feel like you got a little pellet, like I got another follower. And it's so which, which emotional feeling are you following the, Ooh, I felt really connected to you or the, my God, I got 10 followers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, there's not a good answer, and that's why. I mean, because I guess that's the human condition is this, you know, weird balance, and so it's always going to be a problem. Um, but I guess to drive all of this a little bit around the corner back to community um, is that what what's so interesting is whenever it's a lot of people or a group of people or several people beyond just you know 
what's within my own control whenever whenever those connections start forming out there and then all of a sudden i'm kind of tied into something beyond myself and I'm part of something bigger and then begin to discover like shared, uh, purposes and goals. Um, you know, then all of a sudden, like it, it goes beyond just like that personal addiction. And now there's like this, um, it, it social obligation, but it can be a healthy one to like be part of something, you know, bigger than just yourself and to lose control. Um, and to, to kind of sink into the, I'm just staring at the ocean now, so I'm just imagining, like, you know, just sinking into the water and, like, becoming part of this bigger thing. I'm thinking about the water, and I'm answering the chat room. <laughs> Kevin, what about you? You know, oh, here's a connected dot here. So another session at Web2 that was very um, well attended, and I was heartened by this, was um, Mickeypedia's Mickey, who runs Neighbor Goods, mm. which is about sharing goods online um, and offline. You know, so, so sharing goods and services, I should say, um, um, not paying for them, not renting them, lending them the way you lend books. Um, talked a lot about collaboration and trust. The, the importance of trust and collaboration. And it was great to see, A, the word trust was in the title, and, and it was filled with a lot of people. Um, I, unfortunately, had to miss most of the session. But, Kevin, doesn't a lot of what was going on in that room sort of relate to what we're trying to do in terms of creating a sense of community? Because if you're going to lend something to someone, you have to have, yes. really understand it's about a relationship and about trust, right? That's exactly you want it. it back. Yeah. You're, you're, you're setting up this... Well, you don't necessarily want to buy it. That was the other thing that, that Mickey oh, said that was okay. fascinating was that um, a lot of people were, were, were sharing things that they didn't necessarily want back. They, they just bought them and, and you know, you, bu- you buy a tool for one task. You no longer need it for that task. If someone else needs it, you're happy to see the back of it. You don't have to keep it in, around the house anymore. Um, so that was that – was, she did the, the trust experiment at the beginning, which was fascinating. Um, so she, she got two random people from the audience, um, sat them not facing each other, gave them $5 each, and then the experiment is person A can um, give some number of dollars to person B, that amount is then tripled, and then person B decides how much to give back to person A. Um, and so person A, in her case, gave all $5, so Mickey gave 20 to the other to person B, um, who then returned the whole 20 all the, all the return, just keeping the 5 to person A. Um, and that was, that was sort, of, sort of clear they were showing a lot of trust. Then even more fascinatingly, as they walked off stage, person A said, you gave me too much and gave half the money back to person B. And then person B tried to give all the money back to Mickey because they were, they were, you know, they were saying, you, you, this, this, um, you've created, you, they, they clearly were ready to trust people very strongly. Um, and often what you see when they run this experiment is that you, you, you measure a lot of um, public trust, but you don't always see that the person... Um, who's being trusted reciprocating that so well? So, it's, so, so, was there a lesson on how to? And Thomas, I'm sure you've dealt with some of these sort of. I guess, in order for for someone to connect to someone else online, which what you tried to do when you're at Zappos, is you want to connect the customers to each other. How do you connect two people who don't know each other very well online to have a sense of trust? Right? Is that what you know? Mickey was trying to demonstrate there. I mean, I, I think she's doing an amazing job of, of helping enable that. And so then there's these other, um, I mean, so, so trust is not just that personal thing. Right. Um, but it, but if, if there, 
if there's something that we share that we both believe in, then we are able to trust in what we have in common, even if I don't know how to trust you as an individual yet. Um, but most people aren't given the space that really focuses on, you know, what we do share in common. Um, most are set up, uh, you know, more around a task instead of a purpose. Um, and, and then I, th- I think the other thing that can fall apart is whenever uh, it's focused more on simply measuring the connections um, instead of, you know, allowing it to be just more conversational and allowing what happens in that shape to um, create itself. I mean, and that's what community is, is, you know, these people creating something together. Um, So I don't know, my own experience, there's either way too much, like control and, and focus given to a space. Um, or there's like not enough opportunity, um, to make it a little bit bigger and deeper than, you know, just something informational or task oriented. Yeah. I think that the really interesting nugget that you just talked about there is, People focus on a task instead of a purpose. And it is fascinating in the context of the fact that the task is buying shoes. <laughs> so my point, my point is, and the reason I bring that up is, if a company like Zappos that was selling shoes, right, originally just shoes, right? Can, I remember when Zappos was like a little tiny yeah, office selling? above, above venture frogs who were selling <laughs> Yeah. Like Thai bubble tea. It was a very confusing venture capitalized little building in San Francisco. But anyway, okay. So, so, so my, right. So my point is if you can take the task, if you can elevate the task of buying shoes to the purpose, anybody can do it. (laughs) And, and I think that's where in the larger world you have, there's a lot of focus these days on user-centered design and human-centered design and service design and customer experience. I think it's business terms of ways of people to try to understand what's the real purpose of what you're trying to do. Some yeah. businesses and some people will never get that, but the ones who are at least trying, I mean, because I'm not just buying shoes, right? The old Zappa. I'm buying shoes for my brother's wedding, and the uh, and I want to look good at that wedding. And the emotions about that is that my brother is younger than me, and he's getting married, and I'm single, or I'm going to see an ex-boyfriend. Or, you know, that's the emotional purpose-driven piece, which gets back to the stories you were talking about. Yeah. And the, right? And the shortcut is that most people just focus on the transaction. Uh, in my experience, yeah. My, mine, mine as well. Mine as well. So, so you – go ahead, Heather. Well, I, I'm just kind of curious. So we, like, I feel like we're, we're going over some of the same stuff. So, Deb, do you think having – what you saw at Web 2.0 and uh, – and South by, and I don't know, Thomas, if you were at either of these, do you, do you guys think that um, people are over time getting this more and more, or it's getting more and more lost by more people focusing on, oh, metrics that aren't helpful or creating more things and making more things as transactional or trying to, so they can feel like safe and predictable about them. Do you, I mean, I'm looking for a general direction. Right. Well, I have a point of view, but I want to hear Thomas's. I want to hear what Thomas thinks. And, but so you're talking from the the business point of view, or from the uh, user, consumer, customer point of view? Maybe. Well, if you think they're Either. different, then both. You know, yeah. and um, make the web. We're actually going to make the next level of stuff. Yeah, I I, I I think it's a lot more 
like, uh, you know, sculpting than painting. Like, I think what mm-hmm. is going to work for the next part is, like, stuff is just either just going to flat out break off, um, but then some of it we're going to have to kind of, you know, chisel away. Um, but, I, but I think it has a lot more to do with stripping things down than adding more stuff to all of this. Um, so, and I'm not even sure exactly where I'm going beyond that. Um, other than, you know, I just think we have to pursue a deeper willingness to, um, build great relationships with, um, customers and enable them to build great relationships with each other. Um, why I enable them to build relationships, not just with you and your company, but each other. Um, I mean, because so many times like that, uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example of this. Um, I mean, so I, I guess I'll, I'll just ask it this way, you know, thinking of places like, um, dig and Reddit, mm-hmm. um, do, do they have more control over the keeping that business alive and growing or do the customers? Um, oh, I would say that if they tumbled, dig it specifically, they would have helped create conditions for a place where the customers would have, would have had more community and been together. That's my guess. What do you think? Is that, do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think they're connected. No, I, I, th- I think there are totally opportunities to um, be better at enabling and encouraging that. But like end of the day, like if it's not all the people there interacting with each other Jeez. and and being and and continuing their own investment instead of wanting to jump to something else that that you know is cheaper, faster, or better you know suits their needs. Like if they have a, a deeper commitment to the relationships that they have with all of the other you know customers or members there. of a place, they'll be there no matter what, and they'll right, fight right. for anything, and they'll they'll make it you know, work, um, even if maybe the business is struggling to figure out how, you know, I mean, so it was really cool to, you know, participate in, you know, so going back to, you know, Mickey and neighbor goods, um, you know, like they just did the, did around, uh, they raised uh, a series on, um, uh, what's it called? Kickstarter. Um, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone who was a part of that wanted to keep it alive and help it get to the next level and help, you know, the next thing happen. Um, you know, and so that's because there were such great relationships formed, you know, between each other, not just individual one-off relationships with a brand or a company or a product or an experience. It's with each other. Yeah, it'll be, it, it's, it's in a, in a perfect world, maybe the, the future business models will just be patronage, sort of the way of the arts. Uh, I want Kevin and Heather and Thomas, you as well, because we're going to wrap up soon. We're going to keep to an hour to think if you had one tip for a Tumblr, what it would be how to tumble. And, and while you guys are thinking of that, I just wanted to say an answer to Heather's question. I, I think that we are in a, this is what I took away from the past month in thinking about this, is we are at a very um, specific moment in time where most people are putting patches on how they transition to this new world of deeper connect- connectedness and living in the network. And so, Heather, in answer to your question, it's like, how long is your lens? And I love the sculpting. It's sculpting versus painting. It's, it takes time, and you have to craft it. And in order to get there, you have to, you have to be willing to give and take. So I think there will always be people who will be uncomfortable with 
the painting not being done and wanting it to be perfect and may never become sculptors. But, you know, when company, when the CEO is a tumbler at like Tony, Tony Shea and when, um, artists really get that it's about what you do, Heather, you know, about the people in the room helping you make a great show. That's going to take, that takes a while to get there. I mean, basically, Thomas, I don't know if they told you the thing that I do that's weird is what you just described is what I try to do in shows, which has not been the traditional way of performing. Mm. Right. Uh, But, and I got it from internet people. And and so Mm -hmm. Debbie's saying we're basically. um, 20 years from now, it'll be different. I, I think some some of the way it'll push for people is they'll be lost. You'll just lose the thing you're working in and it'll shut down. And then- right. I mean, dig isn't as re- I mean, dig in a weird way is that re- well, it's not as relevant as it used to be because it was all about. I mean, I'm overly simplifying. I'm sure there are other reasons, but it's you know about the numbers versus about the people in the community. So I think more and more as everything becomes commoditized, it's our relationships and connections that become inherently more important. And because I do a lot of my work in the business world, which is very measurement oriented, you know, uh, people often nod their heads and they emotionally agree with what I'm saying, but then they have to go back to their cubicles today and do it the old way. Sometimes you have the, the folks who are in the trenches doing the interesting, you know, pushing the envelope. Right. Okay. Um, and that's, and that, you know, and that's what's going to happen so in order to stay on top we need yeah we need to we need to hit the end yeah i know i know so (laughs) so thomas if you had one tip to help people tumble which is you know to be great community architects and leaders and connect people to each other what's like one really concrete discrete tip like i loved your zappos putting the customers as their brand what's another one (laughs) so i had a friend who had a big heartbreak and uh Major relationship, big heartbreak. Now she's out dating and trying to date people. But as I'm like watching from the outside, like she never opens up. But she always talks about how you know, like no one really, like really gets to know her, and like she's not really making connections with them or whatever. Um, and so I think we also have a huge fear of like what happens whenever you like open yourself up to relationships because maybe you get hurt, um, and so you want to protect that. Um, but I think if you're just stupid enough to fall in love with everyone. Um, then you actually have that opportunity to to build relationships and and not protect yourself because then you don't form good relation like strong relationships ever. Uh, make yourself vulnerable, Kevin. Um, I just posted a link to the the CLS West meetup at um, April twenty eighth, which is why online community metrics suck. Numbers versus the human factor. I, I ran into Eric Haberholtz, who's organizing that today. Um, yes. I think that sounds very relevant, and it sounds like a great group to talk to. And also, we were both we were both told at our session we should talk to um, this um, community leadership summit lot about um, tumbling. So I'm going to make sure we do that. So yes, your, those are things you want to do, but do you have any insight for people about how to do this stuff better today you want to share? Uh, no, just talk, talk to people. <laughs> Heather? Well, I'm um, trying to understand Black Tar is, is saying he's having a hard time. Um, he's, he's using the phrase creating bridging capital and expanding relationship with people he could benefit from other than maintaining stuff. And I, so I guess what I would say is, um, you know, it, it'll go along with being vulnerable, the emotional part of how you do it. But be curious about, um, oh, transaction costs. It's too difficult to enhance 
or shape a serendipitous encounter. I guess to me, I don't think if you're present, there is a, a cost. Um, at least not one that overrides the benefit if you'll do it. So yes. I, I'd say here's the thing. If you're looking at the transaction cost, see if you can um, focus on how you feel about someone in the moment or the moment you're having with somebody. Does this feel like it's making you curious or does it feel like it's taking energy from you in a kind of draining way rather than intellectually. And I think the phrase in transaction costs is an intellectual and a mental one. So see if you can go to an emotional place when you have a new thing that just shows up and feel it because our bodies are much faster than our brains are. So I'd say go <laughs> feeling in the moment and that will dic- tell you much quicker than you know, analyzing mentally whether or not you want to spend a little more time with this person or this moment or go deeper into this thing than not. And that's how you're going to grow new. You're going to have what okay. was serendipity. So it was a very wordy way to get good, to my good, good. Yeah, that was not a tweetable tip. We're trying to do tweetable So the tips, tweetable but I'll let's get away. Let's... Go through your emotions rather than your, your analysis in, in, in making a moment matter. Love that. That's perfect. And I guess mine for the week is to be a good tumbler, you need to cultivate and build your empathy muscle. So at the same time that you might be focusing in on your own emotions and how you're feeling, you also need to sort of understand where that person across the proverbial metaphorical table is coming from. And, and so you really need to learn that skill and you can, and you can improve on it and get that muscle to be better because I think a lot of people, we, we don't sort of look at the other side of the room. And that gets back to your point, Thomas, what's the purpose versus the task, right? A person mm-hmm. is buying shoes, but if you're really empathetic, you would understand that they're anxious about the event they might be buying the shoes for. So empathy muscles, a good one. So on that note, and we're going to spend a little time afterwards in our post-show, which is actually the most fun part of TumbleVision. <laughs> so if you hang on later, you get to hear all the good juicy stuff if you join us live. Um, but we are going to cut out here. and I, I, I just have a little bit of my little pimp to share at the end of what I've got. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm getting right. to it. I'm getting to it. I'm and I just want to people. It's hard. It's hard. Hold Sorry? Up. I'm used to, anyway, go ahead. I'm in a different role. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I, now I lost my train of thought, but that's okay. So I just wanted to say um, thanks, everyone. This is episode 59 of Tumble Vision. And if you want to learn more about um, Tumble Vision and what we're talking about here, please check in with us at tumblevision.tv. That's T-U-M-M-E-L-V-I-S-I-O-N dot TV. And I just wanted to say that uh, you can find me, Debs, online at D-E-B-S Twitter. Um, Kevin, I have nothing to promote or talk about this week. I'm going to keep it really short and sweet. Kevin, do you have anything that you wanted to share other than checking out some of the local community stuff which we'll put up on uh, the blog? Nope, that's it. We, I should have. And where can um, folks find talk. you? We didn't. They can find me. Um, just put Kevin Mer- Marks into a search engine, and you'll find me. <laughs> there you go. We call Kevin our link whisperer, by the way. And Heather, I know that I'm sure you have a lot of stuff coming on. Where can everyone find out information about upcoming shows? I will tell you. But you? First, first, I want to encourage everyone to please go and uh, not only subscribe to the show on iTunes if you like it. But, but um, give us a review there, whatever it is that you'd like to say about the show. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, I uh, will be at uh, the Get Lit Festival in Spokane, Washington, uh, 14th and 15th of March. 
doing I Look Like an Egg, but I identify as a cookie, the show in which I first figured out how to do interactive performance. I bake cookies with the audience in that show. It's a coming-of-age sex uh, sexual identity story. Uh, cool. I'll also be doing unpresenting in Seattle. There are a few slots left on the 17th, and it looks like I'll be in uh, Eugene, Oregon, uh, the month after, and doing unpresenting in Portland. If you're interested, please let me know or put up a page on Facebook. Uh, unpresenting is when I teach spe- uh, kind of speaking skills and tumbling live in a short, a small workshop. That's at unpresenting.com. Yeah, and you can find out all about Heather's upcoming shows and everything at heathergold.com. And I want to thank our uh, producer, Andrew Hazlitt. And uh, Tumble Vision is produced by Andrew, who is located in Baltimore, Maryland. And he runs thenewmodern.net. And you can find him online at Andrew Hazlitt on Twitter. So without further ado, I'd like to say goodbye. And this is episode 59 of Tumble Vision. Next week, stay tuned, episode 60. Who do we have coming up? I don't have that note in front of me. Darn it. We, we have, have um, Stanton coming up. We'll Fort be talking Stanton. about she did some amazing tumbling around talking about her rape online and how she dealt with crazy amounts of trolling and did one of the most clever uh, and Ooh, very yes. heavily trafficked responses to the trolling. That that's going to be that is going to be super exciting. It works in the gaming uh, business, so there's tons of stuff about using gaming and, and visual analysis techniques. So that'll be great. We've got that coming up, and then we have Andy Carvin coming up from NPR and Mark Krinsky from X Prize. So with that, we all say, "Tumble out."